Umbrella by Taro Yashima. Momo is the name of a little girl who was born in New York. The word Momo means the peach in Japan, where her father and mother used to live. On her third birthday, Momo was given two presents, red rubber boots and an umbrella. They pleased her so much that she even woke up that midnight to take another look at them. Unfortunately, it was still Indian summer and the sun was bright. Every morning, Momo asked her mother, who used to take her to the nearby nursery school, why the rain doesn't fall. The answer was always the same. Wait, wait, it'll come. One morning, Momo was more impatient than ever because the sun was brighter than ever. But strangely enough, a splendid idea made her jump up when she was watching the sunshine in her milk glass. I need my umbrella. The sunshine bothers my eyes. But her mother said, you know you can enjoy the sunshine better without the umbrella. Let's keep it for a rainy day. Next morning, Momo was still unhappy because she still could not use her umbrella. But strangely enough, another idea made her jump up when she was watching the people on the street. I certainly need my umbrella today. The wind must bother my eyes. But her mother said, the wind might blow your umbrella away. Let's keep it for a rainy day. It was many, many days later that finally the rain fell. Momo was wakened by her mother's voice. Get up, get up. What a surprise for you. Momo did not stop to wash her face. She even pulled the boots onto her bare feet. She was so excited. The pavement was all wet and new. Doodling she had drawn yesterday was not there anymore. Instead, raindrops were jumping all over like the tiny people dancing. The street was crowded and noisy, but she whispered to herself, I must walk straight like a grown-up lady. On the umbrella, raindrops made a wonderful music she'd never heard before. The rain did not stop all day long. Momo watched it at times while she was playing the games at the nursery school. She did not forget her umbrella when her father came to take her home. She used to forget her mittens or her scarf so easily, but not her umbrella. The street was crowded and noisy, but she whispered to herself, I must walk straight like a grown-up lady. On her umbrella, the raindrops made the wonderful music. Bumpolo, popolo, pumpolo, popolo, pumpolo, bolo, bolo, popolo, bolo, bolo, popolo, boto, boto, pumpolo, all the way home. Momo is a big girl now, and this is a story she does not remember at all. Does she remember or not? It was not only the first day in her life that she used her umbrella, it was also the first day in her life that she walked alone without holding either her mother's or her father's hand. The Treasure by Yuri Shulevitz There was once a man, and his name was Isaac. He lived in such poverty that again and again he went to bed hungry. One night he had a dream. In his dream, a voice told him to go to the capital city and look for a treasure under the bridge by the royal palace. It is only a dream, he thought when he woke up, and he paid no attention to it. The dream came back a second time, and Isaac still paid no attention to it. When the dream came back a third time, he said, maybe it's true. And so he set out on his journey. Now and then someone gave him a ride, but most of the way he walked. He walked through forests. He crossed over mountains. Finally, he reached the capital city. But when he came to the bridge by the royal palace, he found that it was guarded day and night. He did not dare to search for the treasure. Yet he returned to the bridge every morning and wandered around it till dark. One day the captain of the guards asked him, Why are you here? 
Isaac called him the dream. The captain laughed. You poor fellow, he said. What a pity you wore your shoes out for a dream. Listen, if I believe a dream I once had, I would go right now to the city you came from, and I'd look for a treasure under the stove in the house of a fellow named Isaac. And he laughed again. Isaac bowed to the captain and started on his long way home. He crossed over mountains. He walked through forests. Now and then someone gave him a ride, but most of the way he walked. At last he reached his own town. When he got home, he dug under his stove, stove, and there he found the treasure. In thanksgiving, he built a house of prayer, and in one of its corners he put an inscription, Sometimes one must travel far to discover what is near. Isaac sent the captain of the guards a priceless ruby, and for the rest of his days he lived in contentment, and he was never poor again. The Five Chinese Brothers by Claire Hutchett Bishop and Kurt Wise. Once upon a time, there were five Chinese brothers, and they all looked exactly alike. They lived with their mother in a little house not far from the sea. The first Chinese brother could swallow the sea. The second Chinese brother had an iron neck. The third Chinese brother could stretch and stretch and stretch his legs. The fourth Chinese brother could not be burned, and the fifth Chinese brother could hold his breath indefinitely. Each morning, the first Chinese brother would go fishing, and whatever the weather, he would come back to the village with beautiful and rare fish, which he had caught and could sell at the market for a very good price. One day, as he was leaving the marketplace, a little boy stopped him and asked him if he could go fishing with him. No, it could not be done, said the first Chinese brother. But the little brother begged and begged, and finally, the first Chinese brother consented under one condition, he said, and that is that you shall obey me promptly. Yes, yes, the little boy promised. Early the next morning, the first Chinese brother and the little boy went down to the beach. Remember, said the first Chinese brother, you must obey me promptly. When I make a sign for you to come back, you must come at once. Yes, yes, the little boy promised. Then the first Chinese brother swallowed the sea. And all the fish were left high and dry at the bottom of the sea, and all the treasures of the sea lay uncovered. The little boy was delighted. He ran here and there, stuffing his pockets with strange petals, extraordinary shells, and fantastic algae. Near the shore, the first Chinese brother gathered some fish while he kept holding the sea in his mouth. Presently, he grew tired. It is very hard to hold the sea. So he made a sign with his hand for the little boy to come back. The little boy saw him, but paid no attention. The first Chinese brother made great movements with his arms that meant, come back. But did the little boy care? Not a bit, and he ran further away. Then the first Chinese brother felt the sea swelling inside him, and he made desperate gestures to call the little boy back. But the little boy made faces at him and fled as fast as he could. <clears throat> the first Chinese brother held the sea until he thought he was going to burst. All of a sudden, the sea forced its way out of his mouth, went back to its bed, and the little boy disappeared. When the first Chinese brother returned to the village alone, he was arrested, put in prison, and tried and condemned to have his head cut off. On the morning of the execution, he said to the judge, Your Honor, will you allow me to go and bid my mother goodbye? It is only fair, said the judge. So the first Chinese brother went home, and the second Chinese brother came back in his place. All the people were assembled on the village square to witness the execution. The executioner took his sword and struck a mighty blow. But the second Chinese brother got up and smiled. 
He was the one with the iron neck, and they simply could not cut his head off. Everyone was angry and decided that he should be drowned. On the morning of the execution, the second Chinese brother said to the judge, Your Honor, will you allow me to go and bid my mother goodbye? It is only fair, said the judge. So the second Chinese brother went home, and the third Chinese brother came back in his plate. place. He was pushed on a boat which made for the open sea. When they were far out on the ocean, the third Chinese brother was thrown overboard. But he began to stretch and stretch and stretch his legs way down to the bottom of the sea, and all the time his smiling face was bobbing up and down on the crest of the waves. He simply could not be drowned. Everybody was very angry, and they all decided that he should be burned. On the morning of the execution, the third Chinese brother said to the judge, Your Honor, will you allow me to go and bid my mother goodbye? It is only fair, said the judge. So the third Chinese brother went home, and the fourth Chinese brother came back in his place. He was tied to a stake. Fire was set to it, and all the people stood around watching it. In the midst of the flames, they heard him say, This is quite pleasant. Bring some more wood, the people cried. The fire roared higher. Oh, now it is quite comfortable, said the fourth Chinese brother, for he was the one who could not be burned. Everybody was getting more and more angry every minute, and they all decided to smother him. On the morning of the execution, the fourth Chinese brother said to the judge, Your Honor, will you allow me to go and bid my mother goodbye? It is only fair, said the judge. So the fourth Chinese brother went home, and the fifth Chinese brother came back in his place. A large brick oven had been built on the village square, and it had been all stuffed with whipped cream. The fifth Chinese brother was shoveled into the oven right in the middle of the cream. The door was shut tight, and everybody sat around and waited. They were not going to be tricked again. So they stayed there all night and even a little after dawn just to make sure. Then they opened the door and pulled him out, and he shook himself and said, My, that was a good sleep. Everybody stared open-mouthed and round-eyed, but the judge stepped forward and said, We have tried to get rid of you in every possible way, and somehow it cannot be done. It must be that you are innocent. Yes, yes, shouted all the people. So they let him go, and he went home. And five Chinese brothers and their mother all lived happily together for many years. Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel. Story and pictures by Virginia Lee Burton. Mike Mulligan had a steam shovel, a beautiful red steam shovel. Her name was Marianne. Mike Mulligan was very proud of Marianne. He always said that she could dig as much in a day as a hundred men could dig in a week, but he'd never been quite sure that this was true. Mike Mulligan and Marianne had been digging together for years and years. Mike Mulligan took such good care of Marianne, she never grew old. It was Mike Mulligan and Marianne and some others who dug the great canals for the big boats to sail through. It was Mike Mulligan and Marianne and some others who cut through the high mountains so the trains could go through. It was Mike Mulligan and Marianne and some others who lowered the hills and straightened the curves to make the long highways for the automobiles. It was Mike Mulligan and Marianne and some others who smoothed out the ground and filled in the holes to make the landing fields for the airplanes. And it was Mike Mulligan and Marianne and some others who dug the deep holes for the sellers of the tall skyscrapers in the big cities. When people used to stop and watch them, Mike Mulligan and Marianne used to dig a little faster and a little better. The more people stopped, the faster and better they dug. Some days they would keep as many as 37 trucks busy taking away the dirt they had dug. 
Then along came the new gasoline shovels and the new electric shovels and the new diesel modal shovels and took all the jobs away from the steam shovels. Mike Mulligan and Marianne were very sad. All the other steam shovels were being sold for junk or left out in the old gravel pits to rust and fall apart. Mike loved Marianne. He couldn't do that to her. He had taken such good care of her that she could still dig as much in a day as a hundred men could dig in a week. At least he thought she could, but he wasn't quite sure. Everywhere they went, the new gas shovels and the new electric shovels and the new diesel motor shovels had all the jobs. No one wanted Mike Mulligan and Marianne anymore. Then one day, Mike read in a newspaper that the town of Popperville was going to build a new town hall. We're going to dig the cellar of that town hall, said Mike to Marianne, and off they started. They left the canals and the railroads and the highways and the airports and the big cities where no one wanted them anymore and went away out in the country. They crawled along slowly up the hills and down the hills till they came to the little town of Popperville. When they got there, they found that the selectmen were just deciding who should dig the cellar for the new town hall. Mike Mulligan spoke to Henry B. Swapped, one of the selectmen. I heard he said that you're going to build a new town hall. Marianne and I will dig the cellar for you in just one day. What, said Henry B. Swapped, dig a cellar in a day? It would take a hundred men at least a week to dig the cellar for our new town hall. Sure, said Mike, but Marianne could dig as much in a day as a hundred men can dig in a week, though he had never been quite sure that this was true. Then he added, if we can't do it, you won't have to pay. Henry B. Swapp thought that this would be an easy way to get part of the cellar dug for nothing, so he smiled in a rather mean way and gave the job of digging the cellar of the new town hall to Mike Mulligan and Mary Ann. They started in early the next morning, just as the sun was coming up. Soon a little boy came along. Do you think you will finish by sundown, he said to Mike Mulligan. Sure, said Mike, if you stay and watch us. We always work faster and better when someone is watching us. So the little boy stayed to watch. Then Mrs. McGillicuddy, Henry B. Swap, and the town constable came to see what was happening, and they stayed to watch. Mike Mulligan and Marianne dug a little faster and a little better. This gave the little boy a good idea. He ran off and told the postman with the morning mail, the telegraph boy on his bicycle, the milkman with his cart and horse, the doctor on his way home, and the farmer and his family coming into town for the day. And they all stopped and stayed to watch. That made Mike Mulligan and Marianne dig a little faster and a little better. They finished the first corner neat and square, but the sun was getting higher. Clang, clang, clang! The fire department arrived. They had seen the smoke and thought there was a fire. And then a little boy said, why don't you stay and watch? So the fire department of Pupperville stayed to watch Mike Mulligan and Mary Ann. When they heard the fire engine, the children in the school across the street couldn't keep their eyes on their lessons. The teacher called a long recess and the whole school came out to watch. That made Mike Mulligan and Mary Ann dig still faster and still better. They finished the second quarter neat and square, but the sun was right up in the top of the sky. Now the girl who answers the telephone called up the next towns of Bangerville and Bopperville and Kipperville and Copperfield and told them what was happening in Popperville. All the people came over to see if Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel could dig the cellar in just one day. The more people came, the faster Mike Mulligan and Marianne dug. But they would have to hurry. They were only halfway through, and the sun was beginning to go down. They finished the third corner neat and square. Never had Mike Mulligan and Marianne had so many people to watch them. Never had they dug so fast and so well. And never had the sun seemed to go down so fast. Hurry, Mike Mulligan, hurry, hurry, shouted the little boy. There's not much more time. Dirt was flying everywhere, and the smoke and steam were so thick that the people could hardly see anything. But listen. Bing, bang, crash, slam, louder and louder, faster and faster. 
Then suddenly it was quiet. Slowly the dirt settled down. The smoke and steam cleared away, and there was the cellar, all finished. Four corners, neat and square. Four walls straight down. And Mike Mulligan and Marianne at the bottom. And the sun was just going down behind the hill. Hooray, shouted the people. Hooray for Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel. They have dug the cellar in just one day. Suddenly the little boy said, How are they going to get out? That's right, said Mrs. McGillicuddy to Henry B. Swap. How is he going to get his steam shovel out? Henry B. Swap didn't answer, but he smiled in rather a mean way. Then everybody said, How are they going to get out? Hi, Mike Mulligan, how are you going to get your steam shovel out? Mike Mulligan looked around at the four square walls and the four square owners, and he said, We've dug so fast and so well that we've quite forgotten to leave a way out. Nothing like this had ever happened to Mike Mulligan and Marianne before, and they didn't know what to do. Nothing like this had ever happened before in Popperville. Everybody started talking at once, and everybody had a different idea, and everybody thought that his idea was the best. They talked, and they talked, and they argued, and they fought till they were worn out, and still no one knew how to get Mike Mulligan and Marianne out of the cellar they had dug. Then Henry B. Swap said, The job isn't finished because Marianne isn't out of the cellar, so Mike Mulligan won't get paid. And he smiled again in a rather mean way. Now the little boy who had been keeping very quiet had another good idea. He said, Why couldn't we leave Marianne in the cellar and build a new town hall above her? Let her be the furnace for the new town hall, and let Mike Mulligan be the janitor. Then you wouldn't have to buy a new furnace, and we could pay Mike Mulligan for digging the cellar in just one day. Why not, said Henry B. Swap, and smiled in a way that was not quite so mean. Why not, said Mrs. McGillicuddy. Why not, said the count constable. Why not, said all the people. So they found a ladder and climbed down into the cellar to ask Mike Mulligan and Marianne. Why not, said Mike Mulligan. So it was decided, and everyone was happy. They built the new town hall right over Mike Mulligan and Marianne. It was finished before winter. Every day the little boy goes over to see Mike Mulligan and Marianne, and Mrs. McGillicuddy takes him nice hot apple pies. As for Henry B. Swap, he spends most of his time in the cellar of the new hound hall listening to the stories that Mike Mulligan has to hell, tell and smiling in a way that isn't mean at all. Now, when you go to Popperville, be sure to go down in the cellar of the new town hall. There they'll be, Mike Mulligan and Marianne, Mike in his rocking chair, and Marianne beside him, warming up the meetings in the new town hall. Llama Llama Mad at Mama by Anna Dudney Llama Llama having fun, blocks and puzzles in the sun. Time to shop, it's Saturday. Llama Llama wants to play. First the shopping, then a treat. Mama Llama gets the seat. Llama dreaming in, dreaming in the car. Wake up, wake up, here we are. Great big building, great big signs. Lots of aisles, lots of lines. Llama Llama out with Mama, shopping at the Shopperama. Yucky music. Great big feet. Lead lady smelling way too sweet. Look at knees and stand in line. Llama Llama starts to whine. Clearance sales and discount buys. What is little llama's size? Try it on, take it off, pull and wiggle, itch and cough. Shirts and jackets, pants and shoes. Does the sweater come in blue? Brand new socks and underwear. Llama Llama does not care. Cheesy puffs and Odie Crunch. What would Llama like for lunch? Llama Llama doesn't know. Llama Llama wants to go. Lots of bread and cream of wheat. 
Llama Llama wants his treat. It's no fun at Shoparama. Llama Llama mad at Mama. Flying pasta, spraying juice, paper towels rolling loose, bread and chips galore, shoes and sweaters hit the floor, crash the cart and smash the signs. No more waiting, no more lines. Out go socks and cheesy puffs. Llama Llama, that's enough. Please no fuss, fussing, little llama. No more of this llama drama. I think shopping's boring too, but at least I'm here with you. Let's see if we can make this fun and get the llama shopping done. Let's be a team at Shoparama. Llama Llama shops with Mama. Sweep up the pasta, mop up juice, wrap up towels rolling loose, pick up puffs, find the socks, put the shoes back in the box, push the cart with Mama Llama. Almost done at Shoparama. Time to leave. The shopping's done. No more waiting. Time for fun. Out to parking, not too far. Where did Mama leave the car? Snap the buckle, grab the box, put on brand new shoes and socks. Say goodbye to Shoparama. Llama Llama loves his Mama. Little Blue and Little Yellow by Leo Leone. This is Little Blue. Here he is at home with Mama and Papa Blue. Little Blue has many friends, but his best friend is Little Yellow who lives across the street. How they love to play at hide and seek and ring around the rosies. In school, they sit still in neat rows. After school, they run and jump. One day, Mama Blue went shopping. You stay home, she said to Little Blue. But Little Blue went out to look for Little Yellow. Alas, the house across the street was empty. He looked here and there and everywhere until suddenly around a corner, there was Little Yellow. Happily, they hugged each other and hugged each other until they were green. Then they went to play in the park. They ran through a tunnel. They chased Little Orange. They climbed a mountain. When they were tired, they went home. But Mama Blue and Papa Blue said, You're not our Little Blue, you're green. And Papa and Mama Yellow said, You are not our Little Yellow, you are green. Little Blue and Little Yellow were very sad. They cried big blue and yellow tears. They cried and cried until they were all tears. When they finally pulled themselves together, they said, Will they believe us now? Mama Blue and Papa Blue were very happy to see their Little Blue. They hugged and kissed him. And they hugged and kissed Little Yellow too, but look, they became green. Now they knew what had happened. So they went across the street to bring the good news. They all hugged each other with joy and the children played until supper time. Charlie Needs a Cloak, Story and Pictures by Tommy DePala. Charlie was a shepherd. He had a cozy house, a big hat, a crook, and a flock of fat sheep. But everyone said, Charlie needs a cloak. Poor Charlie. He really needed a new cloak. So in the spring, Charlie sheared his sheep. He washed the wool and carded the wool to straighten it out. Then Charlie spun the wool into yarn. Charlie wanted a red cloak, so he picked some pokeweed berries during the late summer and boiled them over a fire. Then Charlie dyed the yarn red in the berry juice. After the yarn was dry, Charlie put the strands on the loom. And every fall evening, he wove the yarn into cloth. Charlie put the cloth on the table and cut it into pieces. He pinned the pieces together and sewed them. And when winter came, Charlie had a beautiful new red cloak.
Bernstein Bears Forget Their Manners by Stan and Jan Bernstein. There was trouble in the big tree house down a sunny dirt road deep in bear country. Trouble with manners. The bear family's trouble with manners was that they forgot them. At first it was an occasional please or thank you that was forgotten. Then there was a rude push without an excuse me. Then a reach across the table instead of please pass the broccoli. Mama Bear wasn't quite sure how or when it happened. But she was sure of one thing. Whatever the reason, the Bear family had become a pushing, shoving, name-calling, ill-mannered mess. Sillyhead, Fuzzbrain, Noodlepuss. At the table, it was even worse. They were a grabbing, mouth-stuffing, food-fighting, kicking-under-the-table super mess. Of course, Mama Bear tried to correct brother and sister's behavior. She tried coaxing. She tried complaining. She tried shouting. She tried going to Papa for help, although sometimes it seemed to Mama that he was part of the problem. Papa banged on the table and shouted as only he could shout, but nothing really seemed to do any good. Mama didn't like what was happening to her family. Not one bit. Something had to be done, but what? The best way to fight bad habits, she thought, was with good habits. Then she thought of a plan. She got a big piece of cardboard and a marker. At the top, she wrote, the Bear Family Politeness Plan. When the plan was finished, she called a family meeting and showed it to Papa and the Cubs. It certainly got the Bears family's attention. Mama's plan had a list of all the rude things she wanted to stop. Beside each one was a penalty, a job or a chore that went with it. If you forgot a please or a thank you, you had to sweep the front steps. If you pushed or shoved, you had to beat two rugs. If you got called name-calling, you had to clean their whole cellar. Interrupting, dust downstairs. Reaching at table, clean yard. Playing with food, wash dishes. Rude noises, weed the garden. Banging door, clean the attic. Forgetting, excuse me, empty garbage. Hogging the bathroom, put out the trash. But Mama spotted, sputtered the cups. You're not being fair. Seems to me, she said, that you're the ones who aren't being fair. To yourselves or to anyone else. That's what manners are all about, being fair and considerate. Manners are very important. They help all us get along with each other. Why, without manners... Your mama's absolutely right, interrupted Papa. Thank you, Papa, for your comment, but interrupting is number three on the rude list, and the penalty is dusting the downstairs, Mama said, and handed him the feather duster. Hmm, said Brother, this looks serious. I think we'd better come up with a plan of our own, or we're going to be doing a lot of extra chores. What sort of plan, asked Sister? Well, he said, instead of just being polite, we'll be super polite. We'll please and thank you so much that Mama will get fed up and call the whole thing off. Yes, said Sister. We'll be so polite she won't be able to stand it. They put their plan into action. They were super polite on the stairs. After you, Sister dear. Thank you, dear brother. In the hall. Excuse me, brother dear. Why, certainly, my dear sister. Waiting for the bathroom? Terribly sorry to have kept you waiting. Think nothing of it, my dear. But it didn't work the way they expected. Mama didn't get fed up at all. And after a while, brother and sister forgot about being super polite and were just polite. At the table? Pass the honey, please. Certainly. In their room? Would you like me to help you pick up your toys? Thank you very much. In the yard? Oops, sorry, I didn't mean to bump you. That's all right, no harm done. 
and it turned out that Mama had been right. Things did go more smoothly. Once they got into the good manners habit, they didn't even have to think about it. But it wasn't so easy for Papa. He was the one who got fed up. It's a little harder to change habits when you're older, and he had to do quite a few extra chores for forgetting his manners. I'm glad to get out of the house away from that politeness plan, he said, as he drove the family along the highway on a trip to the supermarket. Manners and courtesy are just as important away from home, especially on the road, said Mama, as they stopped at a stop sign to let pedestrians and other cars pass. They help us drive safely. Well, grumbled Papa as they all went into the busy supermarket. I think you can have too much of a good thing. You've got to have common sense along with manners. Why, if you let everyone go ahead of you at the checkout, you'd be there forever. And sometimes you have to interrupt. Excuse me, madam, he interrupted a shopper, but I believe you have a leaking bottle in your cart. The shopper thanked him for his help. You see, he said, riding home, there's more to life than remembering your manners. Besides, manners are all right for cubs and mama bears, but we papa bears have other things to think about. At that moment, the car in front stopped suddenly and papa bumped into it. He was furious. Why that pin-headed fiddle-brain, he snarled. Name-calling, reminded sister. The penalty for name-calling was cleaning the whole cellar. So Papa gritted his teeth and remembered his manners. And a good thing, too, because climbing out of the other car was the biggest, angriest bear he had ever seen. But when the angry bear saw how polite Papa was, he remembered his manners, too. He explained that he had stopped short because a mama duck and her ducklings had crossed in front of him. Then he and Papa Bear looked at their bumpers and saw that no harm had been done. As I was saying, said Papa, as they continued on their way, it's very important to remember our manners at all times. And I want to thank you, sister, for reminding me to remember mine. You're very welcome, I'm sure, said Sister Bear politely.